we begin in verse number 16. Proverbs 27, verse number 16. Whosoever hideth hatred, uh, whosoever hideth her, hideth the wind and the ointment of his right hand, which bewayeth itself. Now, that, of course, has to, you know, cause us to go back to verse number 15, where he's talking about the continual uh, dropping that is a leaky roof and a contentious woman being alike. And so uh, here when he refers to her, he's talking about the contentious person. You know, it might not be the woman. It might be the man. But the whole point of it is, is that uh, uh, in the first place, it's going to make people miserable, just like a rainy roof would. Uh, you got, you know, water coming in, a leak here and a leak there, and uh, you can't really relax. Well, that's the way contention does in a family or a church or a workplace or wherever. It just makes people miserable. But here the point of verse number 16 is, is that you just can't shut up a contentious person. Notice it's all about hiding the wind. Well, good luck with that. You're not you're not going to hide the wind and notice the speaking about ointment of his right hand and in other words with ointment on the hand it's kind of like those oils with with the the odor it's something you can't lock up you can't hide it, it you know it just has a way of uh, of escaping and making itself known and that's the way contention is notice <coughs> excuse me that word. Bewayeth there, which means to call or to cry. It's talking about an utter, uh, to utter a loud sound. And so just as the wind or the ointment makes its presence known, so does a contentious person. I think probably back when I was uh, a boy growing up was about the time they invented Ben Gay. And uh, oh, I, I never got so sick of a smell in my life as that Ben Gay. I played ball a lot, you know, and it was just a common practice. If you had a sore arm, you'd rub Ben Gay all over it. And I, maybe that's why I, I can't hardly stand these oils today is because of that. You know, it, it, but contention's like that. You know, people try to cover it up and act like it doesn't exist. But it's like the wind or it's like uh, like the ointment, you know. It just has a way of making itself known. And uh, that makes it, makes it harmful naturally. Verse 17, now remember he's been talking about associates all through this section. And, and so we have a reference to those that we associate with there in verse 15, 16. And, and, but notice verse 17. Iron sharpeneth iron, and so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. This talking about the effects of friendship, uh, and boy, the benefits of friendship are are awesome. Over in Ecclesiastes chapter number four, and I want to take time to read these verses tonight because they're just so very important. He says. Uh, verse number 9 of chapter number 4, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another 
to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so he's speaking here about the advantages we have of friendship. One falls, and if you've got a friend, you know, you've got somebody there to help you. Well, going back to what we're talking about here, just as iron sharpeneth iron. I remember as a boy, you know, in every every store back then nearly, you know, they butchered their own meat. And I love to watch the butcher with that, you know, with using that steel and, you know, and that knife. And he'd cut a little while and then he'd go back and put an edge back on that knife, you see. Iron sharpeneth iron. And in the same way, he says here that a friend sharpens the countenance of a friend. It's kind of like saying, you know, you see your friend coming, and you know there's somebody that's proven themselves. They're a genuine friend, you know, not somebody that's pretending. And you know that you develop a good friendship with them, and it just brings a smile to your face whenever they enter into the room, right? Because, you know, hey, here comes, you know, my friend, and they mean something special to us. Now, here's the point. You and I both know what an effect others have on us. I'm still talking about a lot of my friends that are dead and gone, you know. You you don't forget people like that, your dear friends. And and thank God, you know, as a church family, we have friends, people that people that we love and people that love us. So we know what an effect they have on us and because of that It ought to encourage us to be more thoughtful of our responsibility as a friend. Uh, You know, because just as we want to, you know, people to demonstrate their love for us, uh, that ought to be a reminder to us that we need to do the same toward them. And, And think about living your life in such a way that, you know, when somebody, when somebody, when they'd rather see you coming than going. You know, sometimes the most pleasure some people bring to your life is when you see them leave. But, but whenever it's somebody you care about and they care about you, when you see them, when you see them arrive, it just brings a smile to your face because of that close relationship you have. And if they mean that much to you, uh, do what you can to be that kind of a blessing to somebody else. So when they see you coming, walk in the door, it they just kind of light up all over, and so it reminds us of our responsibility. Now we come to verse 18, and from here on through the remainder of the chapter, it just uh, you you could say this has to do with our avocation. In other words, it's not our vocation, but it's those things that we generally do. It you know when we generally think of avocation, we think of things like hobbies and uh, just things in general. In other words, and so. Uh, that that's why in this section one verse will be on one thing and then he'll jump to something else so uh, verse number 18 whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof so he that waiteth on his master shall be honored now this is talking about the blessings of faithfulness and whenever we do the you know our best to fulfill our obligation 
there's going to be a reward for that. Whoever keeps the fig tree, that is, guards it, protects it, and cares for it, and consequently, you're going to reap the benefit of it. You think about the farmer that goes out in the field. He, he breaks the ground. He plants the seed. He cares for the crop. He can expect a harvest as a result of that. And if he neglects those things, there's not going to be any food on the table. You know, the farmer can sit in the, in the house all he wants and pray for a good crop this year, but it ain't going to happen. You know, it's kind of like the old saying, God feeds the sparrow, but he doesn't throw the worm in the nest. And, and the Bible tells us that we reap what we sow, and that's a principle by which we ought to live our life. It works for things that are bad, and it works for things that are good. And so uh, the, here in the last part of the verse is the actual application of this principle. Notice he says, He that waiteth on his master shall be honored. So he gives us a general illustration, and then he draws it down to a narrow point here of our everyday life. The person that honors their master shall be honored. In other words, promotion comes as a result of faithfully discharging our duties. And uh, you know, most of the great leaders, and, and looking back in, in my life, and I think of those that have been, uh, you know, people that were just really good at their job, and they were people that came up through the ranks. When I worked for the highway department, we had... Uh, we had a lot of guys that graduated from uh, from engineering school, and naturally when they come out there, uh, you know, you might be a rodman on the survey crew, and you're down here on the totem pole. When they come out there, they're already in the supervisor capacity. They've never been out on a job in their life. They have absolutely not a, a lick of sense when it comes to practical things. Uh, they've never chopped down a tree with a double-bitted axe. They don't know how to use a machete without cutting their foot off. They, they just don't know anything. And those are the worst people in the world to work for because they think they know it all, and they don't know anything when it comes to practical stuff. I'll never forget, however, we had one fellow finally that came along, come to work for the department, and he was just like the rest of us. And this is a guy that, uh, that had graduated from college, got a degree, but he had been well grounded and taught a good work ethic whenever he was a young boy. And as a result of that, he knew what it was like to work. So he didn't just stand there under a shade tree and say, chop a survey line down through there. He was right there beside you through it all. And most, most good leaders, uh, are those that have come up through the ranks. And, and, and a lot of times there are people that will sit back and gripe and fuss, well, I've been here 10 years and I haven't had a promotion. This just isn't fair. Well, you know, it just might be you haven't earned a promotion. You know, you might ought to thank God you've been there 10 years if you haven't done enough to earn a promotion, you see. And so the responsibility is on our shoulders, and that's what he's talking about here. When we fulfill our responsibility, if God intends for you to be promoted, it's going to happen. He'll take care of that. Now, verse 19. Uh, As in water, face answereth to face. As you see your reflection in the water, 
so the heart of man to man. So when we think about our form being reflected in the water, we see a, you know, a crude image of ourself, you know, uh, we, we, we have a, a tendency to see ourselves in others. And, and I say that because, and you've probably heard me say that human nature never changes and human needs never vary. And when you reduce everything down to the very bare bone basics, that is a true statement. Human nature never changes. I'm talking about going back to the natural man. We're all basically just alike. We're all sinful. We're all selfish and on and on and on. That's just the way that we are. And were it not for the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would never have a new nature. And so, you know, the the fact is, it's the same for all of us. And... Um, Whenever we look at other people, we see in those other people something of ourselves. And there's, I think, a good point in that, in that when we look at them and we know how we want others to relate to us, we know how we want to be treated, right? Right, because we're just like they are. And we know how we want to be treated, and you know, I think it might be a good exercise if we all sat down and made a list of the of the things that are meaningful to us. The, the you know the way that we want others to treat us, we want them to show us respect. We want them to love us, help us. You know, make your own list up there. But and whenever we get done with that list, we need to look at it and make it our mission to provide those things for others because they're no different than you are. Whatever it is that you want, those basic things in life, whatever it is that you want, that's exactly what other people want. And uh, even those that, and this is, I, I remember several years ago being involved in a situation for where for the first time that that I was made aware of the of the fact that in prison, uh, about the worst thing you can do is to disrespect somebody. Now, you know, I, I'd never th- really thought of that because I figured all everybody in prison's a criminal. They don't deserve any respect at all. But they'll kill each other or you or somebody else if they don't get, you know, respected. That's human nature. We all want to be respected. We need to keep that in mind whenever we're dealing with others, whether it's our family members or whoever it is. Uh, we need to treat them with respect. And, you know, sometimes even those of us that are older, we tend to throw our weight around toward those that are younger because we know they know that they ought to respect their elders, and they should. But sometimes we use that as a club just like a bully husband, you know, that bullies his wife by saying, you know, the husband's head of the wife. That's what the Bible says, and that's true. Husband's head of the wife. There's no doubt about that. The same Bible says that you're the head of the wife. Also says you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And I'll guarantee you, you do that, and you're not going to have any problems, you know, with her trying to run the show. You, you see, whenever we 
when we give respect, we tend to get respect back. And I'm just pulling one illustration out of all of the things that might be on your list. And so whenever you look at others and you think about them, you know, we're able in that sense to read the heart of the other person. Just as you see your reflection in the water, when you look at them, you see something concerning the needs and the desires of your life. And that ought to motivate us to provide that for them. Verse 20, hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. Hell and destruction are never full. You know why? Because the Bible says hell hath enlarged herself. Originally, hell was meant for the devil and his angels. But hell has enlarged itself to accommodate all of those who are Christ rejectors. And notice it says it's never, never full. And then he says, and the eyes of man are never satisfied. Boy, that's really easy to figure that out. It goes back to that old saying, you know, the more we get, the more that we want, you know, and... uh, that's true, regardless of how much we get. We always want more. I was talking to somebody this, this week, and they were, they were talking about, actually it was by way of somewhat of a confession, uh, uh, what they realized was a mistake that they had made. And the mistake was that as they prospered, they kept raising their living standard up, 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 up. And all of a sudden something happened that really put them in a bind, and now the living standard's up here and the income is down here, well, you you know how that's going to play out, right? It's not good. But but that's, that's just kind of the way most people do things. We never get enough, We uh, regardless of how much we've got. It's part of our old nature, never satisfied. Solomon wrote an entire book about that, the book of Ecclesiastes. In fact, he first, before he wrote the book, he conducted an experiment. And here was a man in a position, you know, to, to do that. And uh, he, he said he tried everything under the sun and, and, you know, could never get enough to be satisfied. Never found satisfaction until he realized that there is nothing in this world that can provide that which satisfies man fully. And you find that only in the Lord. And then he says in verse 21, "...is the finding pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise." Now, the finding pot and the furnace, of course, is that which is used to... to uh, to heat the metal. It puts the metal to the test. And in the same way that the heat tests the metal, even so notice here that that praise puts us to the test. Heat reveals the impurities in the, in the metal itself. You know, whenever they get the, the skag comes off of it and they take all of the impurities out of it until they get pure gold, 
you know, sometimes we find ourselves in great danger when we get what we want. I remember preaching a sermon many years ago. I don't remember the details of it, but the title was Getting What You Want and Losing All You've Got. And, and sometimes that's the worst thing that can happen to somebody is for them to get what they want. There's great danger in that. And one of the things that a lot of people want, and I, and I say that they want it desperately, and that is the praise of man. They'll do almost anything to have somebody to praise them. And yet, let me tell you, praise has ruined a lot of people. You know, we, now don't misunderstand me because it's like somebody said many years ago, we all work better under, under a, you know, the praise and appreciation of others, right? It's kind of like a housewife. And all of the work that she does. And, and uh, you know, it gets to be old hat after a while. And nobody says, hey, that was really a good supper. Or I really appreciate this. Or I really appreciate that. You know, they need to know that. They, they'll do more whenever they know they're appreciated. We, we're all that way. And, and so that, you know, that's fine. But the fact of the matter is some people, everything they do is for the purpose of trying to get people to, to praise them. You know, that's why in some churches they uh, disallow uh, any applause. You know, they say, well, you know, that's uh, we shouldn't be applauding man and well, you know, I beg to differ with that. I think we're to give credit where credit is due. I, you know, and I, I, I don't see a thing in the world wrong with it. I'll tell you what is worse than applauding someone for doing something is not giving somebody the praise they deserve for doing something. I think that's when it's bad. And even worse than that is doing something in order to get the praise. I mean, if that's why a person is doing it, why well, you know they they ought to just stop what they're doing. But you see, that's part of the problem. We always tend to overreact because just as and I can look back over the my history in the ministry and think of several different instances where we had uh, had men in the church that I mean they were faithful and regular and. Uh, dependable and boy you thought man i i wish every church member was like this and you can see the potential in them and so consequently come election time you know why you elect them to an office and all of a sudden they become a, a demon in disguise or something some people cannot handle being in a position of authority they just cannot handle, you know, being in a place of responsibility like that because they want to lord it over everybody else. They want you to know they're running the show and, and da, da, da. So some people, I'm telling you the truth, there are some people that have come to the conclusion, you know, it's better not to even praise people because of the fact that it'll just give them the big head. Well, you know, I, I don't think we ought to stop being kind just so, because some people aren't kind. Do you? I, I mean, you know, look, folks, we we ought to give honor where honor is due. 
And instead of instead of us using this as a yardstick to judge others, we need to think about ourselves and and the purity of our motives and do what we can to be an encouragement to others. And a part of that is letting them know that you appreciate what they do. Verse 22, Though thou shouldest bray a fool in a mortar among wheat with the pestle, yet will not his foolishness depart from him. Now, I guess we need to define some words here. The, the word bray there means to pound or to beat. To pound or to beat a fool. And the, uh, the, the mortar is a, is a bowl. And, and back in you know years gone by, they'd used the pestle. Well, that was to pound or to grind, you know, the herbs or the spices or the grain or whatever it was. And, and so th- this here is talking about pounding something to pulp. And the point is that an obstinate fool cannot be reformed by any means whatsoever. In other words, he is so stubborn that no amount of punishment will change him. Now, if you go back to chapter 22, as Solomon's talking about children there, he said, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. You know, it'll work with children. But the thing of it is, unlike the child, the fool that he's speaking of here, his heart is no longer pliable. And there are hardened criminals and, well, not only criminals, but people that are adults and their hearts, you know, are so hard and so callous, it makes no difference what you preach, how you preach it, or if you take them outside and beat the stuffings out of them. It wouldn't make any They're not going to change their their lifestyle. They're, they're not. They're going to do what they want to do, and it doesn't make any difference what you do to them. And all of you can think of somebody that professes to be a Christian and they, I mean, they have been through it. They've had one trial after another after another. And you keep thinking to yourself, what is it going to take to bring them back to God? What's it going to take for them to get their heart right and to do what they should? Nothing ever does. Nothing. They refuse to change. And that's the whole point here. Uh, and uh, we we need to think about that going back to the contention in the home and whether it's the woman or whether it's the man you know there sometimes we have to you know we have to live with people uh, as they are not as we wish they were or even as they ought to be if a pastor doesn't learn that he'll crash and burn in just a few years you have to work with people as they are, not as you wish they were or even as they ought to be. When it gets down to the bare bones of it, folks, we're just all sinners saved by grace. And, you know, by the grace of God, some folks, you know, they have, uh, for whatever reason, you know, they're more loving and more dedicated and more kind. But just because somebody doesn't have those qualities doesn't give us an excuse to be unkind toward them. We're to love one another unconditionally. And uh, we might not like their ways, but we need to love the person. Verse 23, 
Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. That word diligent, you know, really implies that you, you just give it everything you've got. You put everything you've got into it. And in this case, you make absolutely every effort to know the state of the flocks. Now, no, obviously here he's talking about shepherds and he's talking about, you know, those that that are raising cattle, herdmen and shepherds and, and so forth. And the need for them to know the state of the, of the herd or the flock. And boy, you know, you go back to studying about the shepherd and the sheep, and it's amazing the relationship that develops between the two. You don't have to do that. Just look at any farmer and the, you know, the old farmer, he can tell there's something bothering the cows out there. And there's like a bunch of cows, you know, to me, but I mean, they tell that it's, getting, it's going to rain today. How do you know it's going to rain today? Don't you see what those cows are doing? No, I never pay any attention to what those cows are doing. Oh, you can tell if you watch the cows, you know. And, and so the, the whole point is you've got to tell, you're moving from one pasture to another because they've got to get a certain amount of nutrients and what have you. You can't just lock them up, in, you know, in a 10-acre patch somewhere and expect them to spend their life there, and you know, unless you supplement their food source and things like that. Uh, you, you got to know something about it. Now, that's the principle. And in that day, everybody that was, you know, that was living in that time, they could really identify with that because people were raising, you know, cattle or raising sheep, and uh, they they knew the importance of that. The whole point of the principle, though, is that neglect leads to ruin. If it's a farmer, if he if he goes out there and plants the crop. I remember a bay of years ago, she loves to, to do garden work and stuff. And uh, I'll never forget, was living in Fairgrove, Missouri. I was pastoring there. And she planted a garden. That year was the biggest garden she'd ever planted. And she literally had at least a half an acre. She just kept planting stuff and planting stuff. And let me tell you, a half an acre is a lot of garden. And uh, we didn't have no tiller. I mean, we had to serve as the tiller. Well, you can pretty well guess what happened after a while. It just stuff growed up. She couldn't keep up with it. I wouldn't keep up with it. And it just grows up. You know, hey, look, life is that way. Everything. We we got we got men here that that run businesses and others in in supervisor capacities and things and they're responsible for a business. They can't just check into the office every day and sit there and drink coffee and you know and not paying attention to what's going on. They you know they they've got to know exactly the needs and 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 the. You know, whether it's the inventory or whatever it is, they've got to know what's going on. And our life is like that. And some of us, sometimes we don't manage our lives very well. And we need to, we need to realize we reap what we sow. Verse 24, this is going to come to an end fast here in just a little bit. Verse 24, for riches are not forever, and doth 
the crown endure to every generation? No, every king's going to die. The king, he'll have to lay aside his crown and step down from his throne and be buried in the dirt. It happens to every king. It doesn't endure from one generation to another generation. And nor are riches forever. You know, uh, a lot of times good things happen out of bad things. I, I, I'd never want to go through another flood for sure. And I'd really like to have back everything that we lost in the flood. I'd, I'd really like to get all of that back. But you know, the, the, the good thing about, about it is the fact that it was a, it was a stark reminder to me that someday I'm going to leave all of that stuff anyway. I'm not going to take any of it. You know, either the kids will be fighting over it or I'll designate this one gets this and that one gets that and they got less to get now than what they had or it'll end up in a garage sale out there somewhere, you know, but I'm going to leave it all behind, and riches are not forever, so, you know, don't base all of your hopes on that. Now, I, I, these next three verses are just all together because they relate to one another, and it takes very little comment. It says, The hay appeareth, and the tender grass showeth itself, and the herbs of the mountains are gathered. The lambs are for thy clothing. And the goats uh, are the price of the field. And thou shalt have goat's milk uh, enough for thy food, and for the food of thy household, and for the maintenance of thy maidens. Now all of that relates back to verse number 23, where he was talking about being diligent in business. And, And it just goes to show what is gained by being industrious. And that's the whole point of this here. And um, if we want our needs to be met, then we have to meet the needs of our business, whatever our business is. And uh, it goes back to what I said about reaping what we sow. God has promised us those that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He said, all of these things shall be added to you. There's no reason for any child of God to ever worry about whether God's going to supply his needs or not. I mean, you can worry yourself into a nervous breakdown. You really can. You can sit and wonder, you know, I can sit and think, well, I'm 76 years old and I, I don't have the energy I used to have and I've got this problem, i got that problem. And I probably don't have very many more years to live, but if something happens to Bev and what have you, you know, I could end up in a nursing home over here somewhere, one of those old stinking kind, you know, where they don't take good care of you. You can walk in the door and smell the urine, and I'm telling you, you you can just crash and burn worrying about things. I remember years ago, I had a dear preacher friend. He had a lot of rental properties, and I don't know why he pastored a church that took good care of him, but, you know, anyway, he wanted more, and he kept telling me, you know, you need to, you need to do that, or if nothing else, sell insurance, something, supplement your income, 
you know, build it up. You'll have money to retire on. said, I don't want to retire. He said, well, if you don't want to retire, at least your family will be taken care of, da, da, da. You know, and so I told him, I said, look, God called me to preach, and I'm going to devote all of the time I got to that. And I'm telling you right here, right now, after all of these years, I'm not worried one little bit about what might happen to me in the future. That because I've got God's promise that He's going to supply my needs. I might not get what I want, but I'll get everything I need. And there's nothing special about me. That's just as true of you as it is anybody else. And I'll tell you what, I can sleep on that. Amen knowing that God's not going to fail. Well, Lord willing, the creek don't rise. Next week, we'll pick up in chapter 28. Finally, we're out of chapter 27, and we'll pick up in chapter number 28. And there's some great verses here, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. The very first verse is awesome, and so uh, we'll get into it next week. Anybody have a final word before we dismiss? Way back there, Jennifer. Okay. After, yeah, after church, you mean now or tonight? Yes, right. Okay. Yeah. You, you all, uh, you all hear what you said? Need some help getting? Uh, you, you say tables out? Oh, the chairs. Okay, so we'll do. I'll bet you. I'll bet you get plenty of help. All righty, let's all stand together. Brother Rick Morris, would you word our prayer? Father, Lord, we come to you tonight, dear God, Lord, just just praising you for a chance to gather in your house as a family. Lord God, I just uh, I need these midweek services. Lord God, a chance to study Your Word and it always encourages my heart and it always brings joy to my heart to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, Lord, we have so many with uh, real serious health issues, loved ones with serious health issues, unspoken requests. Uh, Lord God, just uh, lost family members. Uh, Father, Lord, I'm just so thankful that you're on your throne. And I ask you, dear God, Lord, just to reach down and, Lord God, use your perfect will. I, I don't have to ask what your will is for the lost. I know what your will is. I just pray that you would intercede in hearts, that you'd bring about whatever is needed to uh, make sure that individuals know the plan of salvation. And then, Lord God, that you would just do everything that you see fit to do to bring about a situations in their hearts that they would just feel the drawing of the Holy Spirit and might accept your son Jesus. And Lord God, for those going through all the health issues, I pray for comfort, dear God. Lord, I pray for the peace that can only come from you. I ask you, Lord God, just to draw close to these people. Lord God, we ask you now, if you would, to be with the Iwana clubs and Lord God, that a young heart might get saved tonight. Lord, I ask you to be with the teens. I ask you, Lord God, just to bless the Villas ministry and our services Sunday. Lord, be with, be with the play, dear God, Lord, that uh, the children, Lord God, will have great joy, great memories of being in your house, being with your church family. And, Lord God, the families that come, uh, 
grandparents, others that may not normally come, that when they're in your house, dear God, Lord, that we'll have a chance to show them the love of Christ through ourselves. And Lord God, we just ask you, if you would, to just help to plan a salvation during the play, to plant a seed in their hearts. Lord God, we'd love to see souls get saved, dear God, and ask you to intercede. We'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.